Walking around Venice, the beach town in Los Angeles, not the tourist destination in Italy, you see the most eclectic mix of people. About 20 years ago, you could actually have parrots and snakes on you and take photos, and that sort of changed. They didn't want a lot of wildlife on, on the boardwalk, but now you have tattoo artists, you have henna tattoo, t-shirt salespeople, psychics, palm readers, dancers, you have... That's Jason Moore, who's our central character for today. He's lived in Venice for more than 20 years now. It's a normality, and that's part of the culture here. And they're all over from the, you know, all different parts of the world. You know, musicians that want to get a break. You had Janis Joplin walking on the streets. You had Jim Morrison doing poetry back in the day. I mean, you had that creative spirit, and you don't know who you're standing next to that could be the next rock star. Yeah. But lately, new elements have joined this quirky, vibrant mix. So this is now Snapchat. The white building across the street is Snapchat. This blue building right here is Snapchat. That used to be an apartment complex for ages. Actually, I drove by last night and there were uh, U-Haul moving vans, moving residents out of these apartments. So this literally has happened within the last month. That's Jason talking with Jim Robb, another concerned resident of Venice. Jim's lived here for even longer than Jason has, since 1986. You see corporate badges clipped to belt loops, private security guards patrolling public sidewalks, homes and offices that changed hands recently to a single owner that always keeps the blinds closed to keep their work a mystery. Some locals are terrified that their quirky bohemian paradise is turning into the sterile corporate campus a beachfront office park for Snap, which is the parent company of the social media app Snapchat. And Jason and Jim were concerned enough to invite us to L.A. to see what's going on. Hi, I'm Sarah Fryer. And I'm Aki Ito. And this week on Decrypted, we're taking you to the historic beach town where Snap is rapidly expanding. You'll hear from residents, business owners, politicians. And this being Southern California, maybe even a celebrity or two. Yeah, all these people who are mad, sad, anxious, for a variety of reasons we'll get into today. And people in Venice worry it's just about to get a whole lot worse. With Snap's IPO plan for March that's going to make a lot of money for its young employees. So what is SNAP's obligation to this beach town, and what can they do to try to fix this paranoia and mistrust with their neighbors? Stay with us to find out. So Sarah, you and I visited Venice the other week. It was a gorgeous day. I was sweating in this long sleeve shirt I'd worn from San Francisco. And what struck me as we walked around with Jason and Jim was, it's not like we're talking about this gigantic building going up. It's really different from what we see here in Silicon Valley. Like, Google has this whole campus in Mountain View, or Twitter has their headquarters in this skyscraper in Midmarket, San Francisco. This is a bunch of tiny buildings, in some cases just one or two floors, scattered all around the most touristy and residential parts of town, right on the beach in many cases. And these buildings aren't labeled with the Snapchat logo, that yellow and white ghost we've all seen. 
or even the company's name. As a tourist visiting Venice, you might not even know that Snap was there unless you knew what you were looking for. Like the presence of security guards out front wearing park ranger hats, and the vans that are shuttling their workers to and from Snap's various buildings. And the fact that their blinds are all drawn when this gorgeous beach is right in front of them. Snap is known for its secrecy, but a lot of residents don't know what they do and don't know how to feel about them. And the lack of transparency everywhere just made it to the point where it's like, all right, if we want to find transparency, let's at least speak to the people in the community. Let's hear their voices. And then let's do our investigation and see what's actually going on with the zoning, going on with the real estate, going on with it all. Because there's a lot of opinion and there's a lot of rumors, but actually to uncover it and see what they're doing and what's going, it it does take time. And we're seeing a lot. Jason was Paris Hilton's manager for 10 years. And now he represents people who are professional video game players, which, by the way, is a totally fascinating world of its own and something we're going to feature on this podcast in the very near future. Anyway, that's all to say Jason's not your typical local community activist. He said he's just kind of stumbled into all this about a couple months ago when he saw Evan Spiegel, who's the CEO of Snap, on the roof of the art gallery next to his office. Jason worried that if Snap was buying that art gallery, his office might be next. So that's where you saw Evan yeah, Spiegel so walking he, up there on the roof? Yeah, he was up on the roof there. How did you tell it was him? Because he wears jeans, white shoes, white shirt, and he looks like Evan Spiegel. (laughs) (laughs) He pretty much has, like, if you brand yourself, I mean, Zuckerberg's got a hoodie. Evan's got his white shoes and white shirt. And, you know, they all kind of, Jobs had his turtleneck, so you kind of know what they look like. But maybe Evan Spiegel just likes art. Yeah, Jason and his fellow residents are not 100% sure what Snap owns, but they're trying to connect the dots, like DIY detectives. On their walks around the city, they're noting where Snap's fans are parked and Snap's security guards are placed, and they're digging through the city property records to see if they can find hints of what Snap owns. Here's Jason talking to a local business owner, Patrick Liberty, who we ran into on the Venice boardwalk. Well, they own Gingerbread Court now. They own it? Yeah. They bought it from Yeah, and they're slowly going to take everybody out, so the back has already been leased. Are you sure they bought it? Yeah, they bought it. Who told you that? It's under the zoning. the The, the addresses match other you see, nobody addresses. Nobody knows that. Yeah, nobody does. And they and they bought and they bought it when the snap was open back in the day. So it's probably one of the first purchases that they did without anybody it's knowing. Amazing. Nobody knew that. Yeah. I heard that they were behind this, and the, building the building. They here, are. They are. And they found out, and that kind of threw a crowbar. Well, in we're going to go speak with Martha Cherish, who's the one that kind of spearheaded to stop it. They bought the gingerbread court. Yeah. It's devastating. Yeah. The gingerbread court they're talking about here is one of the most famous buildings in town. It's right on the boardwalk, this brick structure, originally owned by Charlie Chaplin. It's got a short alleyway lined by small shops. Jason and Jim showed us a printout of a spreadsheet and a map they've compiled with 20 buildings that they think are currently owned or leased by the company. We ran this list by a person familiar with Snap's real estate holdings who told us it contained several errors. But that person did confirm that Jason was right about the gingerbread court, at least the part that's office space. As we're walking down the boardwalk, we talk to some artists around the same age as Snap's employees. They sleep on the beach, they paint on scrap wood. They sell their art on the boardwalk right in front of Snap's offices. 
But they said the employees never stop to buy their art or even take an interest. They said that they don't even say hi. Patrick Liberty, that business owner who we met earlier, told a similar story. He runs Venice Liberty, a t-shirt shop on the boardwalk. And he lost his parking spot when Snap occupied some space nearby. He's tried over and over to get them to make an exception, at least for a longtime resident. I wrote him a letter, gave him a t-shirt. So I go up there and I, you can't even ring the buzzer at, up at 64 Morgan, man, without two guards on either side of you saying, can I help you? And I said, well, I got this letter and I want to... I could never get past. The first time I gave it to the security guard because that's all I could get past. And the second time, I come back with another letter, you know, and even more. And by the third letter in the t-shirt, I'm going, hey, look, man, you know, it's just a parking spot. You know, you've got lots of them. I live here. You know, you came and took the, took it away from us. Be, you know, I got mad at him. I could never, the only person I ever saw was a security guard. These guys walking around in khakis. That's as far as I ever got. You cannot email them. You can't call them. You can't see yeah. them. Patrick said that since Snap moved into the area, sales at his t-shirt shop haven't grown enough to offset the increase in rent. We met up with another guy who got priced out of his storefront altogether. His name's Cesario Montano and goes by the nickname Block. Snapchat just bought this whole street up. So like uh, my, my shop is right in that red building. It's a, it's a historical building. But the rent is going crazy around here, you know. Block closed down his own shop about a year ago. According to the real estate brokerage CBRE, asking rents for office space in Venice have more than doubled just over the last three years. Snap's, you know, Snap's bringing in this overabundance of wealth. Nobody can compete with $25 billion. How much money do they make? How much are they worth? They're worth billions, right? So they got you money. They're coming over here going, you, here's... Three million, get out. I don't care. I want it. I want the street. I want it. I want Silicon Beach. The funny thing was, as we were talking to Block, he saw one of his old friends and called her over. She had just been hired by Snap to improve the company's relationship with the community. But on top of being media shy, Snap is in what's known as a quiet period ahead of its March IPO, which means it's not supposed to be publicly commenting on its business. Once Block's friend figured out who we were, she excused herself and walked away, saying she couldn't talk to the press. And by the way, this IPO is going to bring even more money into the community, too. Evan Spiegel alone may make more than $500 million just from the IPO, And the early employees and executives of the company will soon finally be able to cash out on their stakes. As we just heard, Block is suspicious of all this money. But it's not like he's not used to hanging out with rich people. He's a photographer and works a lot with the music industry. And he just kind of casually mentioned to us at one point that he was hanging out with Rihanna at a Grammy's after party the night before. In Venice, people are proud of their local stars. They'll say that's where Robert Downey Jr. has a house. That's where Arnold Schwarzenegger used to work out. But there's something about these tech guys that rubs them the wrong way. They don't want to talk to you in the local bars anymore. They don't really associate with you if you're not, if you don't have tech vocabulary. They don't, they're like, you're local. Look at the way I dress. You know I'm from around here. They they have nothing to say to me. They're like, I have nothing in common with you. 
I'm here to do my tech job. And that's kind of the attitude. Our next stop on our whirlwind tour was a spiritual community center run by the actor Andrew Keegan. If you need a visual, this is the guy who played Joey, the antagonist in the film 10 Things I Hate About You. There's obviously so many different issues going on in our community. And again, my focus here in this space is really bringing uh, community members together that are, are the ones that are like us in the middle of all of this. And we really uh, would love to see them, you know, put some of their resources and really that integration idea of involving their uh, employees and getting to know community members, you know, um, not just uh, walking by them. Half in jest, he also had one last tidbit of advice. Snapchat just needs to throw us a big party. That's the solution, I think, from this. Sponsor a big party. I can understand the sentiment. I mean, I remember as a kid going to Venice with my family and seeing all the culture and the skateboarding and the art, getting lost in the crowd rollerblading. Yeah, this was my first time in Venice, but I was completely swept up by its charm, too. The tallest building we saw was maybe four stories high. The beachfront was lined with mom and pop stores. Not a single brand like Starbucks on the boardwalk. (laughs) More than a couple whiffs of pot. There's something really sentimental about Venice. And then here comes this red-hot startup making an app that a lot of the residents don't use and don't understand. Buying up or leasing what seems like everything that becomes available, run by this 26-year-old rich guy, it's pretty symbolic of this clash of history with the new hot thing. Which is ironic, because presumably it's exactly this renegade artist, independent, skateboarding, hip culture that Venice has preserved that attracted Evan Spiegel to Venice in the first place. He went to college at Stanford, right in the heart of Silicon Valley, and yet he left all those sprawling corporate campuses and VC firms for Venice, where he's had to buy and lease these tiny buildings piecemeal. Evan Spiegel even talked about it in a video the company made for investors for the IPO. It was filmed in the Blue House on the boardwalk, right where the company got its first office. He and co-founder and CTO Bobby Murphy exude pride and nostalgia for those early days when they first decided on Venice. I can remember when we first got this building as our office, there were eight of us, and you know, our dream had always been to have an office on the beach. You know, right here, you know, there used to be a table, and this is where we built stories and where we planned the evolution of the product that the world has experienced in the last few years. It's pretty surreal being here. I mean, I, I can distinctly remember that the first day that myself, Evan, uh, David, and Daniel came here to check out this place, and we thought it was pretty big for what we needed at the time. I think within just a few months, we filled this place to the brim with about 20, 30 people. It was just a really, really exciting time. That was the period of this company. Where we really to be fair to Snap, they're things. not the first to spark change in Venice. It's been a long time coming. Google came even before Snap, taking up two blocks of buildings, maybe a 10-minute walk inland from the beach. And there's Abbott Kinney Boulevard, which has all these fancy shops and restaurants on it. This is what Lou Leo told me. He works for the real estate brokerage in Venice. Um, so Snap's not new. You know, they're just here with Google replacing some things that were here before. Um, it's just that um, the, the people who seem to have an issue with what's going on with prices increasing on real estate, prices increasing for rent, the lack of commercial you know, vacancy space to put a office or a restaurant or a retail space, you know, those folks um, 
I don't think anything would ever make those folks happy. As SNAP rapidly added more employees, it could have looked to other beach towns in L.A. There's Santa Monica on one side, which is way built up, and there's Playa del Rey, where Google and Yahoo have campuses. There's tons of office space there, too. Yeah, those areas welcome tech companies with open arms and really think of any other town and city desperate to attract jobs in the face of a changing economy. That's something that Mark Ryavik talked about when Jason and Jim took us to go meet him in a cafe. Mark is running for a seat on the Los Angeles City Council to represent Venice and its surrounding neighborhoods. The clash between local residents and SNAP has become a key issue in the race. The primary takes place on March 7th. My sense is that they are simply an add-on to the um, direction that, that Venice and this entire coastal area stretching all the way, oddly, stretching all the way from Santa Monica down to El Segundo in this marriage of internet, marketing, and, 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 and film and TV content. Um, and it's really, for me, exciting to see. And I don't see a downside um, at all because one of the things that come, comes with it is a lot of discretionary dollars on behalf of those employees, and they're spending it to boost the economy in really remarkable ways. This was not what Jason wanted to hear. He showed Mark that map of all the places he thinks SNAP owns or is trying to lease. Mark countered that those 20 or so properties are infinitesimal compared to the total real estate in Venice. And that's when things got heated. It's all right for you to have an office there, but not all, all right for Snapchat to have an office there? I wouldn't be able to have an office with them. No, no, no. You're not following me. It's okay for you to have an office there, but not okay for Snapchat to have an office there. Why is your office more important than their office? I guess it's not a good because thing to be a resident. Because it's your office. I guess, I guess it's not a good thing to, to be a resident of Venice. Well, when you leave, somebody will you know, rent your place, and they'll be a resident. I'm being the devil's advocate here, but isn't isn't what you're objecting to is change and the fact that change might affect you as opposed to the use because office to office? Come on. Why can't I use it? Why, you know, why should I be pushed out? Um, Because we do exist in a capitalist society and they'll pay more than you will. Again, you may not like that, but that is... What's going on? So how are you, as a council member to be, to represent us with that attitude, going to get support from residents saying, hey, deal with change? I may not. You know, one has to say what one believes. Then we hopped into Jason's 1965 Thunderbird, and we drove to Robin Rudisill's house on the beach. Robin's also running in the city council race, and we recounted the conversation we just had with Mark Ryavec. No, I don't think any, anybody in Venice would agree except, well, him. But, um, you know, it's, it's not really a stimulus because um, it's taking uh, some, some of the people who have the higher paid jobs. You know, it's not the, sort of the medium or lower paid jobs that we would probably need here in Venice. Also, they're getting this huge tax um, credit from the city. So they're not even getting a a stimulus through tax, business taxes. Um, 
really. So she'll come in here, have all these people, you know, drive up the prices of our homes, take our you know, residential units and turn them into offices. And we're not talking just a few, we're talking a lot of those. A lot of that has been done. And I, I, I wouldn't say that's a gift at all. Uh, that's had a very uh, detrimental impact on Venice because uh, losing housing it has uh, caused people to have to move out of Venice that thought they'd be here all their lives, you know. So and being for- they're being forced out because of this. This point came up in our conversations with a lot of other residents, too, who think SNAP's breaking the law by having offices in residential areas. But here's what the real estate agent Lou said about that. You know, the majority of the places that these folks have taken have been, you know, commercially zoned properties. Um, and if the closest thing that they would be to, you know, residential would be a live workspace in a commercial zone that just happens to have the use code of live work. I'm not an attorney, but, you know, if you, if you, if you look at the letter of the law and the way that, you know, that code is loosely written, it can be interpreted several ways. And the community members who actually have interacted with SNAP employees do have some pretty nice things to say. Here's Kristen Paglia, the CEO of PS Arts, a local nonprofit supporting the arts for kids. We work with many corporate partners in our schools, and I don't think I've had nearly the amount of face time, nearly the amount of volunteer activity that uh, SNAP has has put forward. And then on top of that, the financial commitment has been so um, thoughtful, you know, that they come to us as the experts. They say, what is it that the kids need? What is going to be the best for this community? And they let us design it. So I I think they have been incredibly responsible um, contributors, uncharacteristically so. She talked about SNAP employees painting with the kids, sticking around longer than necessary, coming up with ideas for new programs. And here's Barry Cohen, the principal of a local elementary school. You know, in dealing with some other companies nearby and trying to secure funds from them for different programs, it's been a lot more red tape. Um, I feel like with SNAP, it was they said, this is a good thing. We want to do it. Um, And they did. At the end of the night, Jason and Jim organized a cocktail hour for us at a bar next to Jason's office. It was called the Canal Club. He had been telling people all day that they could show up if they wanted to talk to a couple reporters. We didn't know what to expect. They took us to this room in the back, and I counted at least 40 people in there. Everyone from a young mother holding a baby to a couple people who looked old enough to be grandparents. They sat around a few big tables that were pushed together, and when the seats filled up, more people crammed into the back of the room, standing up. If you could just give your name and say why you came and and what's going on in in your world. um. We passed around a mic for the people who wanted to talk. Listen, the real reason reason all these people are here, the real reason all these people are here is because uh, they're all a bunch of freaks living in, in Venice Beach, and they're afraid that all these, all these straight people, all these straight people are going to come in and, and stir up the pea patch and level it all out. I mean, just look around; you can see they're all a bunch of freaks. You know, so that's what it, that's, that's the bottom line right there. You want to be a freak and stay a freak. That's it. 
we also heard from people like Kelly Blair. She lives in a house right by a building that SNAP recently moved into. There's like 200 people a day going in that building that cannot be legal. Like, it cannot. It can't be. And so my, um, gr- my driveway is often being used as their Uber stop or their security guard stop or what happens on Oceanfront or on Speedway, which is a road, not a parking lot. They just line up their cars at 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock. They're little shuttles that take them everywhere, and they park. They park on, Ocean- or on Speedway. And I have got to Another point that came up a lot was run-ins with the security staff patrolling SNAP's various offices. People just don't like being looked at and judged while they walk down their familiar streets. And what we also heard was a sense that SNAP was kind of getting to operate under a different set of rules than everyone else. I just want to add one more thing. Uh, all IT companies in the city get an 80% business tax break. We don't. Us individual mom and pop. Personal How many business people in this room own a business? Wow. Not anymore. And we don't get an 80% tax break. But just, just to say whatever incentive may have... Just for our listeners, that was like probably three quarters of the room. Maybe about 30 people. Okay, so that leaves us here with two very different sides to this story. One of the residents upset with SNAP and the other of people that really think SNAP is doing its best to offset the very real pains that any successful growing company can bring to a relatively small neighborhood. And like a lot of conflicts, the two sides aren't even operating with the same set of facts. And we heard actor Andrew Keegan bring this up earlier, but residents were just clamoring for a forum for them to actually talk to SNAP. I think that's why so many people showed up to our cocktail hour. A couple of people even thought we were representing the company. We just had to keep reminding them that we were journalists. <laughs> it's probably because the residents weren't getting any information from SNAP that their concerns had escalated into this full-blown crisis, that they had to rely on people like Jason and Jim digging into property records, passing along rumors, some of which were true and some of which were not. What you don't know is so much scarier than what's out there in the open. We heard the residents use words like sneaky and secretive a lot on our trip. And it did remind me of my past dealings with the company. I remember the very first time that I went to Venice to visit them, I wasn't even allowed inside the offices. We had our meeting on the boardwalk. In the meantime, this could become a real business liability for SNAP. In their filing for their IPO, they do mention a risk factor that because they don't have a corporate campus, it may actually affect their their morale among employees. And then there's this whole issue of future expansion. They could double, triple, quadruple in the coming years. If you look at the growth of Facebook and Google and other companies that came before them, that's certainly what they're expecting. Yeah, it's got to be pretty hard for Evan Spiegel to run this nearly 2,000-person company this way, with employees spread out across an entire beach town having to be shuttled from one office to another, instead of getting this chance to all be together in a single headquarters. SNAP might get something like that eventually. And recent reports have come out about their interest in expansion in nearby Santa Monica, which would certainly give them more space. That's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. 
Tell us, has the tech industry gentrified your community? Record us a voice memo and send it to us at decrypted at bloomberg.net. Or you can write to me on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Fryer. And I'm at Akiito7. You could subscribe to Decrypted on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review. That helps us make our show better, and it also gets our podcast in front of more listeners. This episode was produced by Pia Gedkari, Magnus Henriksen, and Liz Smith. A very special thank you to our reporter, Shelley Hagen, who helped so much in the reporting and the research for today's show. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.